I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In this edition of the From My Angle podcast, I visit with a true visionary in the world of education, Travis Lape. Travis serves as the Innovative Programs Director with the Harrisburg School District, just outside Sioux Falls, South Dakota. In this role, Travis is charged with supporting the district's push to reimagine school in ways that have caught our attention at Parrish. The Harrisburg District is one of the leading practitioners of a more learner-centered instructional model. It features pacing designed to meet the learner where he or she is, and the district's practices and results have led to a steady flow of visitors from districts and schools across the country to the South Dakota community. In fact, the team of Parrish faculty and administrators visited the district in the fall of 2018. Travis himself came to Parrish in early January to work with our teachers, and he and I sat down to record this conversation, one I think will shed light on the rationale and intent behind our own reimagined strategic vision. Enjoy the conversation. Travis Lape, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. We're so glad to have you in Dallas. Hey, thanks for having me. Down from the frigid yeah. north of uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Traveled in last night and are getting uh, a little glimpse of a sunny 65-degree January day in Dallas. Yeah, this is crazy. The sun is out. It's blue sky. I mean, most of the time right now we've got clouds and it's a little chilly up there. So yeah. this well, is nice. We've been so uh, fortunate to uh, form a, a relationship with you to send some of our teachers up to the Harrisburg uh, School District, which we'll talk about in this conversation. So I want to really thank you for your hospitality and, and welcoming of our team to, to your very innovative and, and interesting district. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're always excited to have other schools that are trying to push the envelope or think differently because then we can connect each other. And I think the power in those connections is our staffs working together and being a part of it because, again, they can read books, they can read, you know, articles or listen to podcasts, but when they actually get into the ground floor of talking to each other, that's when the, I think the real magic happens because they realize that they're not alone. Yeah, for no question. There are faculty that laid eyes on what you're doing uh, with, within your district, um, c- come back with a much fuller and more vibrant picture um, of, of uh, what's possible here. Uh, and so uh, for sure, that's a, a, a terrific opportunity. So by way of formal introduction, you're the Director of, Inno- uh, of Innovation at the uh, Harrisburg School District uh, just outside Sioux Falls, I suspect it's a suburban, uh, suburban type district. So, mm-hmm. tell, give us a little introduction to your to your district and yeah. uh, how you fa- how you found yourself to this position, uh, you know, over the course of your uh, your teaching career and, and now into administration. Yeah, it's it's been it's it's an exciting district because we're the fastest growing in the state. Uh, we grow by about three hundred fifty to four hundred mm-hmm. kids every year. Um, we're six elementaries, two middle schools, and a high school, and we basically build schools every two years mm. uh, because of our growth. And a lot of our growth is coming because the city of Sioux Falls is growing outside of its limits, and so they're growing into our district. Mm-hmm. So we're becoming just a suburb of Sioux Falls. In time, you're going to go from <coughs> Sioux Falls to Harrisburg and not even know you left the city yep. because there's just going to be houses. Uh, but it's it's super exciting district. We're constantly pushing the envelope on things, on innovation and technology, and how, how do we think about school, and how can we reimagine a learning environment. And so it's been exciting. Um, I've been with the district now uh, six years. 
Prior to that, I was a head softball coach at a university. And then prior to that, I was a fourth grade teacher. So mm-hmm. I was in the classroom. Then I had an opportunity to go and do a dream of mine, and that was coach collegiately mm-hmm. and did that. Had a family, didn't want to be on the road as much recruiting. My wife taught in the district. She's been there 10 years, and she's like, hey, we've got an opening for a technology integrationist. You probably would be great at that. Would you be interested? And I was like, maybe. And so I applied for that, um, got that job in Harrisburg, started at the elementary as an integrationist. Um, basically taught computer part-time and worked with teachers the other of integrating technology into mm-hmm. their lessons. My principal left after a year, go, went back to Iowa to make a little more money, mm-hmm. and so I give him a hard time all the time <laughs> that he left me. But when he left, um, we had an opening at our middle school, mm-hmm. and I had an opportunity professionally to grow and to, to move more into a leadership role of just supporting teachers, and that's really my passion. It, it, I think it comes from the coaching side of me, mm-hmm. is just really supporting teachers and giving them the tools that they can be successful in the classroom. So I got to be a full-time integrationist where I just worked with teacher and lesson design. Did that for two years, got my master's in administration, and then had an opportunity to be an assistant principal in one of our schools as we opened up another elementary. So my principal that I worked under was between both buildings, Mm -hmm. and I was the assistant. But really the role, the mission that I was on was helping us roll out gradeless elementary. Um, And so it was kind of a right fit. I finished my master's. My master's was all around this idea of how can we change up school structures and what would that look like? Mm And so then I got to help lead that initial team three years ago. Um, after that year of an assistant principal, the district said, hey, we're going to continue rolling mm-hmm. this out. We're going to need somebody in this to kind of keep us going in, in that vision moving forward. Um, and so the district created this position of the innovation programs director where now I kind of see over the personalized, customized learning environments in our district, but then also really thinking big picture of like, where do we go? Like, what's mm-hmm. the next phase? Yep. And what, what can we continue to do to push push this envelope yeah position that's making its way into more districts now across the uh, across the country and even into some independent schools like parish but net net you're, you're helping a district of about 5,000 students and uh, uh, you know several schools as you mentioned uh, really think think forward and doing so in some pretty uh, some pretty interesting ways certainly ways that, that caught our attention so if you were to give uh, kind of a uh, two to three cents explanation of really the major characteristics of what you all have been doing since you arrived six years ago mm-hmm. and then actually predates you by another three or four, really over the last decade. Yep. What is it that Harrisburg is aspiring uh, to do uh, in its quest right now to be reimagining the school experience for kids there? I think the the anchor for us is the Gallup poll. When you look at kids' engagement level as fifth graders mm-hmm. being 74% engaged, right. that still is about 26% that are disengaged or not engaged at all in school. Right by the time they get to that high school it's down into the 30s and that's alarming and that was something for us as a district 10 years ago that stood out like those facts haven't changed from 10 years ago and that's scary and sad that yep. for 10 years now we've we've kept down this same path so for us it was looking at that data and saying okay how can we reimagine high school? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a very innovative principal at that point, mm-hmm. um, really wanted to push envelope. And so he started looking at weight-bearing walls and mm-hmm. what weight-bearing walls did he want to attack. And one of those was time. Mm-hmm. So they traveled to several schools just to kind of see that. And that kind of started the whole pendulum for us to, right. to start thinking differently. Yep. Yeah. And so right now your model, uh, you started in the high school with some early th- thinking and it's now moved actually went back and you really launched it in your in your uh, elementary and and middle schools but effectively you've moved to a model of of um, what I would call hyper personalization you're really trying to um, uh, allow the learning to move to uh, the the learner to move to the center 
of the school experience equation. And so uh, take us to a, a lower school, yeah. uh, or what we call lower school, which you call an elementary school. What are some of the things that one would see walking into a, a classroom mm -hmm. uh, at the elementary school uh, in, in Harrisburg uh, School District? You know, I, I think it's fascinating when, when people do come because we start every morning with a community of learning. And so the community comes together. There's 94 learners, basically what you would traditionally see as second through fifth grade all together. And we do um, goal share. So if kids have hit goals, we celebrate them. We share what goals they've accomplished. We do habits of mind where we really are focusing on kind of very similar things of your guys' habits of work. Mm -hmm. Like really building that capacity of soft skills and what how can we prepare them for a world. But then they go off and into their learning journey and that looks different for every kid and your second through fifth grade kids in your model are together and yeah. they stay with a teacher for four years for their, yes. so there's a, a looping element to your to your teacher so uh, if, if I walk into a classroom there I would see kids of, of various age and working with not just that learning facilitator but several learning facilitators who serve that age group. Absolutely, right? yeah. So you're gonna see just the flexibility of kids moving in and out of, we call them learning studios, so we don't even call them classrooms anymore because the whole idea is when you go to an art studio or a recording studio, the tools are there for you to be successful. Right. But then you have to go and do it. Yep. Same idea here, we've changed the classroom to learning studio, the tools are in there. There's a learning facilitator in there, they're doing direct instruction, they're doing coaching sessions, but then there's time that you need to do things and that's creating projects or really getting yourself prepared to give evidence of like, this is how I know this. And it's just awesome to watch our seven-year-olds, everybody's worried about our little second graders when they're in this, but it's incredible to watch our seven-year-olds just really drive that and say, yeah, I know what I need to do, here's mm -hmm. what I'm gonna do, and they go do it. Yeah, and so, um one thing we hear a lot when we talk about more fluidity uh, between grade levels, between departments, um, in terms of how you use time, and our community is now, I think, uh, relatively well-versed in, in we having the same curiosity about those that you do. One of the things that I'll hear is, that kind of grade mixing, Travis, sounds like a Montessori school. Mm -hmm. So why is that not Montessori? Why don't you yeah. uh, unpack that for listeners as to, <laughs> as to how you differentiate what the, what the learners there are experiencing relative to a standards-based curriculum, relative to direct instructional pockets that are built into the model, mm -hmm. relative to the fact that you keep kids within a sort of, as you call it, a bubble mm -hmm. or a window of, of, of a learning unit rather than having them just off sort of wandering around free form, so to speak. To give us some of the differentiation yeah. points between your model and a Montessori. I think the big the big push for us is we've really still tried to provide some structure and support for kids. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think just let I think too often people think of personalization as oh kids just doing whatever they want like yeah. oh they want to learn about this great you yeah. want to learn about this which really fits kind of that Montessori mindset or their their philosophy where for us it's more about giving them autonomy in their learning in a in a <clears throat> safe environment where they can fail and it's not going to be a loss in anything we mm -hmm. can support them and really build them up and so we use a model where the kids will learn material they'll practice material and then they'll master material mm -hmm. so we really build that as part of our learning environment and then inside that teachers are still giving direct instruction mm -hmm. teachers are still sitting down one on five uh, because again when we look at research and what research says small group instruction has a lot larger effect on learning than direct instruction yep. when you don't have the right learners ready for it yep. um, but we we still do direct instruction we call them seminars um, because there's times where you have the right learners you have 20 of them all ready for the same thing Give them the material they need at that point. You know, don't do small group just for those 20. So it's just really rethinking how we teach that 
so that we're reaching the best optimal learning environment and, and opportunity for our kids. Yeah, so uh, of those 94 learners in a quote-unquote second through fifth grade pod, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how many will a teacher be doing direct instruction with at any, at any given time? You know, I mean, it, it really depends on the day. Some days I can walk into a room and the whole class might be on something together. Mm-hmm. Um, other days I'll walk in and, and, and a majority of the time I would say I would walk in and they're in small group instruction. And what's a class size for you out you of know, that You know, I would say at 94, they're roughly 23 yeah. to 25. So a little larger than, certainly much larger than our lower school courses, which classes which are around 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 16. Uh, and you all developed this framework. So uh, really uh, up through the middle school, uh, students come in, they get a pre-assessment. It's, it basically articulates where they where they should be, right? And then it sends them into these seminars that you refer to, which is where a teacher does uh, some uh, coaching and um, d- direct uh, uh, instruction with them. They may have watched some digital curriculum, some digitally delivered curriculum, mm-hmm. um, pre-staging that seminar. And then they have a chance to go demonstrate their mastery. And I love the fact that you all actually, in some instances, will have students have to uh, explain to two peers Mm -hmm. what they've learned before they go back and share their evidence of mastery uh, with their their teacher. Uh, Across the board, we would not share some of the model that you would perhaps in Mm -hmm. terms of student blending, but we share commitments to several things. And and our, our community knows it, voice and choice, Right, student voice and choice that they have some ability to to um, uh, chart uh, what they will study and how they will demonstrate mastery of it. We call it meaningful, authentic work. Right, that the tasks that they're doing have some sort of connection to the real world. Thirdly, that this work that our kids are doing develop what we call enduring habits of mind. Right, mm-hmm. really cultivate uh, cultivate that. And then finally, a student should be able to move when they've mastered a topic. They shouldn't be waiting uh, to move forward or be left behind if they need more time so really at the level of 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 uh, drivers we share i think a lot of same uh, philosophies tell us a little bit about how some of those four Mm -hmm. come into play in uh in in your in your uh classrooms in in harrisburg yeah you know i think it's our philosophy that really in the elementary environment we want to close gaps we want to Mm -hmm. we want to have kids be successful in school and, and have the foundational things um, which really leads to that el- that middle school environment where now it is about them producing their learning and producing work that is authentic, that means something. Um, and we're always looking at global connections. Like our ELA classroom connects with a school in Norway, and they give them... That's English language arts. Yeah. Humanities. In, humanities. Middle school guys. parish parlance or English in the upper school. Yeah. And so they, they connect with them, and they... They assess the kids' writing in Norway mm-hmm. uh, because they're learning English as a second language. Right. You know, and so it's it's those type of connections that okay, I'm teaching them grammar, but how can I teach grammar in a meaningful way? Mm-hmm. Well, rather than putting things on a board and having them rip apart the sentences that I've created as a teacher, mm-hmm. we bring in authentic work. Kids' paper from Norway, they look at it. Yep. Now we work through the practice things of it. It's it's meaningful, and so. For us at the middle school level, it's really about bringing those type of connections more than it is about how fast can a kid go through curriculum. Yeah. Um, that will happen organically, right? but and, that shouldn't be your focus. And repeatedly over time. And that meaningful, authentic work, making it relevant, giving the kids voice and choice, that goes back to you citing the Gallup poll, which I love. I cite it around here mm-hmm. uh, all the time because, by the way, it's even more depressing for the number of people who are in work 
less than 40% of people who feel engaged in their world of work. So essentially an educational model that we've developed over cent over a decades, close to a century now, has uh, really be uh, for our older learners uh, become so transactional. Mm -hmm. And what it's led to in many instances are, are adults who are leading fairly transactional uh, um, lives in their, in their careers. So this notion of why poke at the bear, why mm -hmm. try to unpack the school-based model is for me, driven by this notion of engagement, by joy, by passion for learning, by mental wellness and health of the student learner, right? That's really been a big driver for us. But these other pieces you've talked about, um, enduring habits of mind, right? This 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 notion that the, that it, that the work is really tied to skill development. Uh, this is for us what we call preparation for the complex global society. And this is sort of the two-headed monster of why we're tackling the school apparatus to see how we can bring change to it in ways that inarguably prepare kids for the future, but do so in a way that keep their, their love of learning and the purpose of learning fully intact yeah. and don't deflate it over their journey through it. So I'm curious around um, metrics of success. Mm -hmm. Like You actually offer parents in Harrisburg two tracks, we do. a traditional yeah. track and what would be called essentially a competency track or a personalized track or customized track. Um, as you look at the students that have moved down this more non-traditional model, how are you measuring success both quantitatively, but also to my previous point, qualitatively, just in terms of uh, level of enthusiasm or passion or excitement for learning? What are you all finding uh, as, you, as you journey forward? Yeah, it's been fascinating because we've tried to really try to capture some different things. One thing we've tried to capture over time is, is behavior. Um, and behavior really lends itself to engagement. And so in our, in our one school in, at Freedom Elementary, um, they, they saw and what basically they did is they took kids that were in our second cohort, mm -hmm. they took their data for a year mm -hmm. of outside the cohort and said, okay, all these kids that are currently in our cohort, how many office referrals did they have? Mm -hmm. They had roughly around 150 office referrals. Mm -hmm. That same cohort in the personalized learning environment only had about 48. Mm -hmm. And so we, we're seeing, and that's, and that's across the board. Our middle school sees it, our high school sees it. The decrease in behavior goes down mm -hmm. when kids are engaged in work that they can handle. Mm -hmm. A lot of behaviors happen because right. it's too hard. Yep. Like It's just easier to get kicked out of class yep. than it is to be here. And so I'll just get kicked out, it'll be done. Yep. Like I don't have to worry about it. So we've seen behaviors go down. Um, we've also seen like really life skills for kids. Um, mm -hmm. we, we get feedback from our high school kids that have gone through this really meaningful experiences of like, yeah, my freshman, sophomore year, I did not manage my time very well. Mm -hmm. I was behind. I had to take some summer mm -hmm. school. But now my junior, senior year, mm -hmm. I've got this figured out. Like I'm, pre I'm more prepared now for making choices for myself when I'm out of school than I maybe would have been if I would have just gone through this. And so we've got that type of information we're collecting and seeing. And then on our assessment side of things, we, I mean, what we're very cautious of because it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in the sense of we've got data that supports it of like things are going really well. But the problem is as soon as we publish it, the teachers that are teaching more of our traditional side are like, well, then am I not teaching well enough mm -hmm. or I'm not that great? Right. And that's not the case. In Harrisburg, we have, we have two paths that have some incredible educators teaching really good things. Mm -hmm. It's just the mindset in the sense of are we okay with a kid getting a D and moving on to unit two? Mm -hmm. Or are we saying, no, let's support that kid that's getting a D yeah. and get them up to a proficiency level that makes sense that then they'll be prepared for something more. Yeah, and my summation would be that on the customized personal personalized size with more of a voice and choice and, and student engagement, you get stickier learning. Essentially, yes. learning is not learning, 
if it's not transferred, if it doesn't stay with you. And much of what passes for quote unquote learning in our schools today, even learning rewarded, by the way, with an A or a B, it's not really learning. It's proof of excellent memorization, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, like for us, it's like if thinking about a student staying with something till it's secured and doing so in a way that is connected to their learning style, to their areas of interest, to the level of engagement, raises the likelihood significantly that that learning is true learning, that the content consumed remains. And I think this is something, again, in the, sort of the modern race for the transcript build, for the mm -hmm. GPA, for the college of choice, has just been basically lost yeah. in a discussion about uh, whether a school's a good school or frankly, a student's a good, a good student, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they've been able to sort of play the game and, and, uh, and master the system as it's presently devised, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've, that they've, learned, that they've learned anything. So these are some of the nuances, I think, that we've, uh, that we've really been looking at together. And it's interesting because I suspect some parents are, are uh, you know, listening to your uh, upper Midwestern uh, accent. <laughs> They're listening to you describe a district that is far from a private school in North Dallas. And they're wondering, you know, what are the points of comparability here, Monaco? Like, it's great that you're going out and finding these folks in, uh, you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota that are, that are looking to reimagine school. But, you know, how's that, how's that connect? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'd probably like to close, um, as we do in a lot of these podcasts, by having you talk about the fact that, um, you know people in independent schools, you know people in public schools. Uh, you and I are not alone uh, across the country uh, at uh, exploring how school might work differently. We are probably just ones that are a little uh, more emboldened to be talking about it and trying it. So for me, I don't really care if you come from you know, South Dakota or South Dallas or South Florida, right? Or if you're at a private school or a public school, you know, for us, it's about mindset. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know how you would speak to um, that notion of your awareness of uh, sort of the momentum behind this change and where you look for your points of inspiration and do you care if they come from a particular type of school or a particular geographic area or not for us it's not like <laughs> i i think the big thing for me that i am the reason i am as bold as i am and the reason i i try to put ourselves out there as a district is because i think too often uh the first thing when parents hear change or personalization they go to google and they type it in and then you're going to see things like the summit schools mm -hmm. and you're going to see things like um, Zuckerberg's initiatives mm -hmm. and you're going to see alt school. the alt school. Right. You're right. going to see things that are, are really pushing envelope but somewhat missing the beat I feel on the instructional practices yeah. where like, like we've, I've shared with staff today of like I don't want you to duplicate us. I don't want you to be Harrisburg and Dallas. Like, mm -hmm. I want to share our story. Hopefully, it can lend some you know light on what you are doing and and things you're working towards. But there's no way we should be replicating these things. And when I think of the alt school structure and the summit school structure, they're just replicating what yeah. they're doing in different parts of the United States, mm -hmm. thinking they're going to get the same results. Yep. And that we're just building a different structure for mm -hmm. that. And so for me, that's why I want to be connected with all these leaders and these individuals that are pushing the envelope, that are pushing back on some of those things and mm -hmm. saying. No, like we can reimagine this, still be at the heartbeat of what's best for kids and instructional practices and authentic learning, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be in front of a device. And I think people are always amazed, like when they come to our school and they see it, the first question I get a lot is, well, how long, how many hours a week are they on the device? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like we, we have iPads, we're one-to-one -one with iPads. Go in the classroom and watch kids 
and tell me how many of them are using the device as a gaming device or what you would say as mm-hmm. as not really educational purpose compared to what they're using it for maybe an educational purpose because a lot of our software our curriculum we don't we don't have it as a adaptive software we don't believe in that the still the heartbeat of teaching and learning is that teacher in the classroom that understands her learners or his learners the only way you can do that is by building the relationships and making sure you've got a structure in place that supports that. So for us, it doesn't matter where it's from. Yeah. It's just finding the people that are saying, no, we're not putting instructional practices on the back burner. Right. We're saying, here's what we're going to do, but how can we push the envelope? And I think for us, we want to be an inspiration to some schools because I think when you think of public, I mean, we've got a lot of red tape we have to mm-hmm. deal with. You know, mm-hmm. we've got the state assessment, we've got scores that get yeah. published, and and not saying independent or private schools don't have that same piece. Like, I mean, learning about parish and the just the competitiveness of independent schools down here sure. blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I can count our private schools in South Dakota. Yeah. You know, exactly. so we don't have that. No, not at all. Um, so there is a different dynamic of that. You guys are you guys are also being held accountable in some aspects of different things. Yeah. But I think the big picture is is what's the heartbeat of what can we do for kids and how can we move them forward? And when we find a district that has that same beat, like I get our staff connected, I try to share stories, mm-hmm. I try to have them work together because again, we're working towards something bigger and that that makes it that that just makes everything so much more exciting yeah the innovative spirit is ecumenical like for us it crosses boundaries of geography and type of school and so uh, parents and others will often ask me you know where are you going and looking for this how do you know it works uh who are you checking in with and you know, you're you're a great you're a great example of that. You by by way of a slight digression, you bring up this notion of of technology's role. We've definitely had some some um, anxiety raised uh, in in uh, in our community, especially in our middle and upper school, where you know parents think that the the presence of a, of a computer means the absence of instruction. Right. And we are we are working with our faculty to, as you say, uh, pair strong instructional practices and still have those powerful relationships between instructor and, and student and small groups of students um, with the use of, of uh, the tool, as you refer to it uh, rightly, uh, of technology. The reality is if you're gonna move to a model that is more personalized for students, that um, believes that, that the delivery of curriculum and the movement of kids should not be standardized and uniform, um, technology is going to play a role, and the digital delivery of curriculum is is going to be essential uh, because you can't replicate humans. Yeah. But you can put a human on a screen to articulate some of the core concepts, which they can then go and follow up with in small group or individually with the teacher as coach or uh, uh, or, or or guide. And so uh, I think that that's a, a point for another discussion, another podcast. But I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up and and uh, want our community to know, like you, we we believe in the instructional um, uh, primacy of mm-hmm. the teacher student relationship, but are not going to step back from our quest for a personalized learning experience that will in, uh, incorporate technology as as part of that um, as part of that uh, quest. So, what lies ahead for Harrisburg uh, here? Quickly, as we wrap up, like what's the next frontier for you? You have kids in this competency based or, or customized model mm-hmm. moving at some pace now. You know what's a what's a hope or aspiration for the next uh, you know twenty four to thirty six months of yeah. your of your journey forward? Where are y'all hoping to go? Well, we we've got continue. We've got six elementaries still to go, so we've got two that we have these type of learning environments in. Um, so the next two years, we have plans to roll out to the remaining elementaries. Um, but I, I think the bigger push is more at that elementary.
elementary, high school level where now we can cross curricular mm. and really start to rethink design of, of coursework. Yeah. And so, uh, again, science doesn't have to just be in their silo, mm. you know, and, and what does that look like? And so I would say in the next, yeah, in the next 24 or 36 months, it's really looking at at that big picture of how can we start to break down those walls? Where does it make sense? And start with some baby steps of success so that teachers feel like, hey, we can do this. This does fit my curriculum or does fit my standards. Now this is how I can revamp it. Yeah, that's another uh, key piece of the apparatus of schools is siloed curriculum, just like mm-hmm. it is siloed periods of time to learn in a day for those subjects or grade levels. Like these are all part of the uh, century old apparatus of school, which uh, yes, at, at points in times has worked successfully for, for students and to a certain degree still works for kids today. Uh, I, would, I would contend that it doesn't work uh, as well as we potentially could in terms of levels of engagement, levels of true preparation and deep learning. Uh, and that's why we're committed, as you all are, to continuing to, uh, to, to tear at those apparatus a little bit and look for thoughtful ways uh, to refit them to the modern context of, of learning. So again, we are um, so grateful to have been able to send some faculty up to see you. I suspect more will be on the way in the future. Glad to have you here today on this uh, uh, faculty work day, uh, meeting with uh, faculty members uh, in each of our divisions and collectively uh, with some academic leaders uh, here on campus, again, just to learn from your story uh, as we seek to build the, uh, build the parish of the future. So thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. On my next episode, I will visit with Assistant Head of School Michelle Lyon and a couple of parish faculty members to unpack observations made and lessons learned during the fall schedule test undertaken in our middle and upper schools. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the From My Angle podcast.